The following is a message from Durkeetown Baptist Church in Fort Edward, New York. For more information about Durkeetown, please visit our website at www.durkeetown.org. That's D-U-R-K-E-E-T-O-W-N dot O-R-G. Our uh, text today, I didn't have my bookmark in it. <laughs> Actually, that's really funny. Um, our text today is uh, from Acts 20. Uh, we're going to be reading from verse 7 to verse 12. The word of the Lord. On the first day of the week, when we were gathered together to break bread, Paul talked with them, intending to depart On the next day, and he prolonged his speech until midnight. There were many lamps in the upper room where we were gathered. And a young man named Eutychus, sitting at the window, sank into a deep sleep as Paul talked still longer. And being overcome by sleep, he fell down from the third story and was taken up dead. Well, Paul went down and bent over him, and taking him in his arms, said, Do not be alarmed, for his life is in him. And when Paul had gone up and had broken bread and eaten and conversed with them a long while until daybreak, and so departed, and they took the youth away alive, and were not a little comforted. Love that last line. This is God's word. And it is always for our good. So it's pretty clear that the main point of this text is that preachers shouldn't preach too long. So (laughs) thanks for coming. God bless you as you go, right? No, 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 don't really leave. Um, The irony is I don't plan for this to be a long sermon, but to be honest with you, I think it was just as long as any other sermon I preached, like this morning when I preached it at St. James. Uh, But you're going to have to listen to me a little while longer. Um, So let's pray and, and ask God to bless our time here together in his word. Father God, I thank you again for the great and weighty opportunity to preach your word. Father, I pray that you would get me out of the way, that you uh, would be pushed forward in the words that I speak. Lord, I, I pray that you have been in and through the preparation that I did this week. And Lord, I pray that your word, what you want your people to hear this morning, would be preached to them. Let your Holy Spirit lead me in the words that I would say today. I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So, I'm going to be honest with you all. I usually am done with my sermon prep by Tuesday, and then I practice it a couple of times between Tuesday and Sunday. This week was a little different. I was pretty frustrated. Uh, I sat and looked at this text, read it several times for probably two or three hours on Tuesday, and I couldn't really get anywhere with it. I was like, what do I do with this text. And I feel bad because this is Pastor Ken's like favorite text from what I understand. 
Um, and he, he picked it. He really wanted to preach it. So I feel bad that he's not here to preach it for you because he loves this text. But I'm like, this is a narrative in the middle of a longer narrative. What is the point of this? And you can ask my family. I went and we celebrated Zeb's birthday on, on Tuesday. And I talked to them for quite a while about what am I going to do with this? You know, and, and we were all kind of stumped and we're like, what, what's, okay, what's going on here? What's the main point? You know, we talked about it for a little while and it was very helpful. So I, I thank my family for that. Um, I, I get together with my friends on uh, Thursday nights and, you know, we play games and stuff like that, like board games and, and things like that together. And uh, at the end, you know, I have a, a friend who's been in ministry as well. And I was like, what do you think about this passage? And he's like, I don't know. It's hard, man. It's hard. He gave me that joke. He gave me that joke. He was like, just, do, just preach it like that joke that I said at the beginning. He was like, tell him, hey, don't preach too long. Go, go home. But I really thought about it and, and uh, I, I prayed over it and, and thinking about what this narrative is doing in the larger context of the book of Acts, I think is really the key to understanding what it has to say for us today. And so let's think about what is the larger context uh, what happens in the text itself, and what, are, what the results of what happens are. Those are things that are, I think are going to help us to apply it for us today. Uh, what is the background? Well, Paul is on his third missionary journey. He's been all over the place, right? At this point, he's been fleeing uh, persecution. He had recently, within I think the last three months, been involved in what almost turned into a riot in Ephesus because he was challenging uh, the people who sold idols uh, in the marketplace there. And they weren't too keen on the fact that he was preaching this, this what they considered to be new religion uh, in their area and cutting into their sales, you know, which is what they were. They weren't so concerned about their god Artemis. They were more concerned about probably their bottom line. Uh, but Paul meets up uh, he meets with his, his fellow workers uh, in ministry, uh, a lot of them with names I can't pronounce very well, uh, like, well, maybe it's Secundus, is that, I don't know if that's how you pronounce it, but Gaius, Timothy, uh, Tychicus, and Trophimus. Uh, he's meeting all of them back in this port town, this port city of Troas, and that's where we are in our text. They're in this port city. Uh, it's in modern, it would be in modern-day Turkey, uh, it's, it's strategic in the sense that it's a port city, so ships can go anywhere from there. But he has, he's visited here before as well. We learned that in Acts 16. Uh, we learned in 1 Corinthians that he actually left a cloak there, and he wants it back from Carpus, who's there, which is kind of a funny little you know, side thing that I learned from studying this text. Uh, but he ends up in Troas, and he ends up preaching, and he preaches... Uh, for a really long time. We know it's the, the first day of the week, right? Our text starts out with that. On the first day of the week, which would be Sunday, just like our calendar today. You know, we basically have stolen that from the Hebrew calendar as well. Typically speaking, worship in the Jewish culture was done on the Sabbath, on Saturday, right? This is actually one of the first mentions, as far as I can find, in the New Testament, of Christians gathering on what we now call the Lord's Day. So it's a worship service. He had already been there for roughly seven days, and he was planning on leaving the next day. 
And so they meet on a Sunday and they get together, they gather together and they break bread. They have fellowship over what? The Lord's table, right? And, you know, Pastor Mike has pointed this out many times. When, when ancient Christians got together and they had communion, it wasn't just a little piece of bread and a little glass of grape juice, but they had a meal that was spread before them. They actually shared a meal of bread and wine and worshiped like that. They had a meal together. So we see that this is a worship service, helps us to understand that this is a Christian worship service that is happening, and they're meeting in an upper room, right? A place where they could possibly hide because they were being persecuted, get away, but also a place where they had enough room to get together and talk. And obviously, this upper room is about three stories up uh, where they gather together. And then we have this story, this interesting story. Most of us consider it kind of a humorous story, right? Because all of us can relate to Eutychus, right? How many of us have almost or have fallen asleep in church? I can see everyone's eyes are open right now. So you're all really worried about maybe you don't want to be called out or fall out of a window. But don't worry, I don't think that's, that's going to happen. All the windows are closed, right? We're good. But yeah, we have this kind of this funny story, right, where Eutychus falls asleep and he falls from the third story of a window. And we can all imagine uh, what that would be like. He's listening to Paul preach for, you know, five, six, seven, all the way, you know, presumably, who knows, 12 hours of preaching where Paul is, is, has been talking all the day long and his eyes get heavy he starts to doze off, and I would not want to be one of those people. You know how you, when you fall asleep sometimes, and then you jump because you feel like you're falling? I can't imagine what that was like for Eutychus, right? <laughs> it was to actually wake up and, and be falling uh, from a third-story window. But then he falls, obviously, to his death. And, and like I said, we kind of laugh about it, but you can imagine, and I want to kind of help you, put you in in the place of, of the people who are worshiping in Troas, right? How did, how did they feel when someone, maybe a relative, maybe a friend, I don't know, the scriptures doesn't tell us, but they see their friend fall from a third-story window and land on the ground and die. It's a very serious, kind of dramatic, kind of traumatic experience that they're having here at this church. How would this have made that church feel? Imagine if someone here, and God forbid this happens, but somebody here has a medical emergency and something happens to them. It would be somewhat traumatic for us, right, to see that happen here at a place where we're trying to be safe, and we think we're safe, and, and something bad or tragic does occur, and, and we've seen instances of that all around the country as well, where things, bad things still happen in church, right? And he falls asleep. He falls from the third story window. He, he falls dead to his death. And then we have the, the text describes Paul going down to him. He bends over him and takes the boy up in his arms. Again, someone they were close. Somebody invited Eutychus, right? Somebody went with him probably. And again, we can imagine the feelings that are swirling through their heart. And there's this kind of this intimate moment between Paul and probably this young person who 
he may or may not have even known, but he takes him up into his arms. And it's it, immediately we're called back to, uh, you know, when Elijah raises the youth, uh, the widow's uh, son, and in, I believe that's in Second Kings, and certainly when Jesus raises the widow's son or daughter, I can't remember off the top of my head, but when Jesus, all the resurrections that Jesus participates in, right? And he just declares, simply declares this, makes this declaration that the boy's life is in him. And presumably, either at that moment or a little bit later, the text isn't really clear, but he is, in fact, brought back to life. He's resurrected. And the result of this is that the people... As it say, it's in, in my scriptures, I'm not sure. I, I didn't actually look at other translations. I wish I had, but, uh, you know, I like this phrase in, in the English Standard Version. They were not little comforted, right? They were a lot comforted. <laughs> they went away uh, very encouraged uh, by what they had seen, not just, I believe, from the resurrection that had taken place, the miraculous event that had taken place, although that probably, like all of us, would have been in the forefront of their minds, but certainly by the service, the whole service that had taken place and what Paul had been preaching. So I had to get to this point this week where I, I asked myself, what is the point here? What is Paul trying to get across? Allison, my mother-in-law, said, said this as well. What, uh, what is the point of this? Like, is this important? What details are important? And we had to think through uh, what kind of details were important in this text. So I think we all could be tempted to be caught up in the miraculous raising of Eutychus from the dead. And while amazing and miraculous, Eutychus' resurrection, I believe, in this text, serves a greater purpose in the entire narrative of what is happening in the book of Acts. Again, we have to go back to the background, to the context of, of the passage itself. Paul is establishing, he's equipping the church throughout the known world at that point. He's gone on many missionary journeys. He's been all over the place. He's been, uh, you know, to Greece in Corinthians, or to Corinth, I should say. Uh, he's, you know, he's been to the island of Crete. He's uh, he's been all over the area around Jerusalem. He's been to Macedonia, places in a Asia Minor. All of these different places he's been, he's been establishing uh, the church throughout the known world. And we can see, especially in this text, right, how he is setting up the standards and the principles of how church was to be done. There's a couple of things I think we can learn from that. One, it's not focused on location. They didn't have big churches, right? Big, certainly no big ornate churches or even a church, not to say that this place isn't ornate, but, uh, you know, it's not like the Catholic churches I grew up in. If you didn't know, I grew up uh, in a Roman Catholic tradition, but it's, you know, it wasn't uh, gaudy or anything like that. They were just meeting in upper rooms, right? Mostly for protection and practicality. It was a place where they could get away and probably not be harassed by the local authorities. But what it does seem to be focused on is teaching, right? He's teaching for hours and hours on end, right? 
We have a focus on, on the sacraments or the ordinances here too. So the Lord's table is mentioned. Certainly fellowship is at the center of this and worship as well. So again, and, and I want you to remember the context in which they're worshiping. It's not like our context today, although it may be going that way, right? But it's not like the context that we have today, as Pastor Mike mentioned in his prayer. We have the freedom to come and worship as we will. Uh, this is a, uh, a demonstration of God's love uh, for us, for his people, but they are worshiping in a world that's hostile to them. They're under the Romans, who certainly do not agree with their worldview. In fact, in the early, you know, the early church, it was common for people in the Roman Empire to say what? Caesar is Lord, right? But what did the Christians say? The Christians, of course, their motto was Christ is Lord. It's a very political statement, if I do say so. Uh, very, very political statement that they're making in terms of, no, your Caesar isn't actually Lord, but Jesus is Lord. That is not a message that is going to garner them any favor in the world that they live in. The Jews were certainly hostile to them as well, because in their opinion, they were preaching some new teaching that was, by their standards, blasphemous. It's that, that's the charge that they gave Jesus as well. So no matter where they went, the world was hostile to them. Even for those who were accepting uh, their message, right, the worldview is foreign. It's, it's, in a sense, new, right? For the Jews, it's new in Christ. There's something that is changing. Many of them did not understand the Old Testament prophecies, uh, about Jesus coming as the Messiah, dying on a cross uh, for our sins, being raised from the dead, uh, and ascending into heaven. And the gospel message, again, is foreign to the Jews. Uh, for most Gentiles, the whole of the worldview is completely new and foreign to them. Uh, they may not be familiar with what the Jews taught in Judaism, uh, and they certainly would not have been familiar uh, some, maybe, with the events that had occurred uh, around uh, you know, Jesus' time. So this is completely new and, and foreign worldview. So when Paul comes into Troas, here, he's preaching something new, and he's spending tremendous amounts of time establishing good teaching and good practice, or what we call orthodoxy and a word maybe some of you have never heard, orthopraxy, right? So what is a good way of thinking about uh, how do we know God? What, what are the doctrines that we believe about God? And then how do we practice those things out in the world? You see, the people are new believers, and they're soaking up knowledge, and they're enjoying the fellowship of one another. This may be a little foreign to us because we all grew up in at least what we thought was a, a Christian culture, right? But in this world where Christianity is completely foreign, they're hungry for the knowledge of the truth. Those who are coming, the new believers who are coming to faith in Jesus Christ. And so it's not 
foreign to them to stand around and listen to somebody preach for 10, 15, 20 hours about Christ and the gospel and the fundamental things that they need to know in order to live in a world that hates them. We see this today, even, where the gospel is entering into new areas like in Africa, like in South America, and these places of the world that had never heard the name of Jesus Christ. I think back to a video I saw probably 10, 15 years ago where a group was bringing, a missionary group was bringing a tribe in Africa through the story of the Bible, and they're getting more and more excited as it goes along and then you see when, when Christ is crucified on the cross, they all get sullen. They all, they all feel that in a very real way because it's a story they hadn't heard before in any context. And boy, when he comes back from the grave, they get up and they start dancing and moving around. They go nuts. They go crazy because this is the first time they've heard this story. So for them, understanding where God has brought uh, you know, his people Israel too in this point in history, and then having it explained to them that Christ gains the victory, that is a tremendous moment for them. And I don't think it's unlike that in this early period in the church where people are coming to Christ. They're getting to know who he is. You see, I think that's probably what we should be focusing on in this text. You see, Eutychus' death and resurrection, I think, demonstrates a few things that are going on here in the midst of what Paul is trying to accomplish in the greater ministry uh, that he's doing. One, it demonstrates the power of Christ in and over the world. Can you imagine what that would be like to know that your brothers and sisters are being killed or slaughtered all the day long, as the scriptures tell us, for the sake of the gospel. That could be very despairing news, right? But the fact that Christ and that Christ through his apostles has power over life and death is significant for his people to know. We learn that God has care over his people. We see it through Paul in the way that he handles the whole situation with Eutychus, taking him up into his arms, into this very you know, intimate setting, uh, and, and, and says that the boy's life is in him, and he's raised uh, from the dead. It's very cinematic in my mind. He goes down and, and holds the boy in his arms. But we see God's care over his people, right? He can bring them back from the dead, but he has that power over life and death, so nothing the Romans can do to you is going to matter in the end. And it points us to our resurrection, right? The future resurrection. Eutychus was resurrected, but then he died again, presumably at some point. Not presumably, definitely. At one point, Eutychus died again. But there will be a day when Eutychus is raised uh, to a new body and to a new resurrection, and he will live forever. And the same is true for you if you are in Christ. So what does Eutychus' death and resurrection demonstrate for us? That 
it was demonstrating for the people in Troas that God has power over these things, and they walked away encouraged because it, it, was, it almost acted as a, a really great illustration in the middle of an awesome long sermon. Probably, I'm guessing, it was incorporated into something that Paul was already preaching about. And then he's showing them through the power of God what God is doing with his people and giving them the courage to know uh, that they can overcome what's happening in the world. Our world today is changing. It's changing here in America, and we've got to get used to that idea. Um, Pastor Ken has challenged us, and I've mentioned it in my sermons as well, that we need to have a different type of discipleship given our current circumstances. I was encouraged uh, this past week, this past Friday, actually. Uh, I had found out, you know, one of the guys on the south, I'm on the hourly side of things, the union side of things at work, but I, I, had a, uh, I heard about a gentleman on the, the salary side. Uh, with June coming up, Essity, my company, is going to celebrate, uh, you know, Pride Month and all, all this kind of stuff. It doesn't affect us so much at the hourly level other than we have to see what they're doing, but they want, it, they want their salary employees to participate in this. And I found out this one gentleman at my work uh, respectfully declined uh, and said, I can't participate in Pride Month celebration uh, or any of the activities around it. It goes against my faith in Christ, as I found out later. Um, when I heard that he had done that, I walked up to him and I said, are, are you a Christian? And he said, yes. And I was like, oh, I am too. <laughs> you know, and we had, we had a good uh, 15, 20 minute talk uh, encouraging one another, uh, telling each other, hey, if you need prayer, if you need encouragement, if you need anything, you can, you can come to me. Uh, so it's always good to know that they're there. But we also talked about this fact that the world is changing. It's not what it used to be and that we definitely need each other in fellowship. We need each other. Well, like I said, Pastor Ken has challenged us. Our discipleship needs to be different. Our fellowship needs to be different. Um, so what I'm not saying from this sermon and what I don't want you to come away with is the idea that we need to have all day long sermons. That would be cool though if we, if we felt so inclined and I, I'm okay with that. Or that we should be attempting miraculous works and raising people from the dead. I don't think that's the point of this particular passage. But what I am saying is that we need to equip ourselves and we need to equip each other with the gospel and the knowledge of God. Are you spending the time that you need to spend understanding what's in here? We have greater access, far greater access than anyone in the first century did to this right here. In order to get a book of this, you would have to pick up a scroll and unroll it to the point that you wanted to get to in order to read it. So many people spent many, many hours memorizing what was uh, the scriptures in order to be able to preach or really even to know what God had to say. And a lot of their knowledge came from their gatherings on Sunday. 
But we have great access to the scriptures. We need to be in God's word. We need to be memorizing God's word. We need to know what the Bible says. We need to know what God is telling us from his word. We need to have a good understanding of what is good doctrine, good teaching. We need to know how we are to practice these things as taught by scripture in our daily lives. I think we also need to care for and encourage one another. This involves us, as Pastor Ken says, doing life together. So are we meeting with each other throughout the week? Are we encouraging one another? Are we getting into each other's lives, asking each other, how how are you doing? How's your walk with Christ this week, this day, this month, this year, whatever? How How are you doing? It's going to require from us sacrifice at times. It's going to be time and money, right? To spend time with your fellow Christians is a sacrifice at times. Uh, I was so happy to see how many men were willing to give up a Saturday to come and and just talk about uh, James. We were just going to talk about James and to encourage one another. But there was like a sacrifice of time right? That, that happened. And of course, uh, we will have to sometimes sacrifice goods, money, food. Uh, I'm thankful for all the people when Becca was sick with Lyme's disease and dealing with all that who brought us meals. It was amazing to see uh, your love for us, uh, your love for us in Christ uh, when those things were going on. Certainly the meals uh, you bring over when, whenever we have a child as well are, are well appreciated. But that's something that cost you, right? It depends on the situation. It may cost you more or less. We need to be doing work in the world. Our works do not save us, but we are created for good works, right? So we need to be doing work in the world. We need to be continuing uh, the work and the mission that Jesus was about, and we talked about that last week out of Isaiah, and we need to preach the gospel, So the very first question, I guess, is do you know the gospel? And if you don't, well, then we got a different, something else to talk about. But we need to be, if you are a Christian, by the way, you need to be preaching the gospel to yourself every day, reminding yourself exactly what Christ has done. And we see that uh, all throughout Scripture. The Christians are reminding themselves of the work of Christ. And so if you have uh, received that, and, uh, you know, we need to be doing work, preaching that gospel, talking to people out in the world. If you haven't, uh, just know that there is a gap between us and, and God, right? God is holy, as we're talking about in Sunday school. We are not. We are creatures. We have a sin problem that needs to be dealt with. And God graciously dealt with that for us through his son, Jesus Christ, on the cross, Uh, when he was uh, punished for our sins, shed his blood for the forgiveness of our sins, and was raised from the dead to give us new life. He ascended into heaven and reigns at the right hand of God, and we are to be loyal to him as king. And Jesus' command to us is to repent and believe 
for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. It's there. We can touch it. It's his kingdom. But as Christians, we need to be courageous and we need to move forward in the world knowing that we serve the God who has power over life and death. And just as the people uh, in Troas who uh, were encouraged uh, not only by the resurrection of Eutychus, but by the preaching of Paul, by the fellowship together, the worshiping together, uh, and participating in the Lord's table together, we need to continue to fellowship and worship with one another, encouraging one another as we go. And I pray that we would do just that. So would you pray with me now uh, as we go to God and ask him to do these things for us? Father, I thank you for my church family, uh, for each person here, uh, who has cared uh, for my soul. I pray that if there are people in this church who haven't felt that, please bring them forward. Help us to help them, to love them. Father, I pray that we would be thinking about how we need to live in this world as it's changing, as it's becoming more hostile to us. I pray that you would help us to gain the knowledge we need from your scriptures, but Lord, that you would give us the courage to live what we've learned in your scriptures out in, in life. I thank you for these people. I pray that we would go forward in boldness, with courage, with confidence into the world to declare your word to your people. Lord, the fields are white. I pray that we would go out into the harvest. I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this message from Durkeytown Baptist Church in Fort Edward, New York. You may freely copy and distribute this message, but please do so at no charge and without altering the contents in any way. For more information about Durkeytown, please visit our website at www.durkeytown.org.